Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas, and my name is Duffy Henderson, and I'm your host. Well, the Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here, we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. So if you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in today, and may the Lord bless this episode in particular greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. Well, we are back with another episode of our Old Dead Guys series. Uh, This is March of 2023, and uh, we've done two already, and I have thoroughly enjoyed all of the reading, although it's been a little bit of a, you know, uh, it's been a joyful burden to bear to kind of prepare for these episodes. Right. Back with Jason. We're, we're back here. We've we've been slaving over the books, you know, to present to you something that might be helpful. <laughs> well, it's it's a time crunch on it us. It is a time crunch. Because we know these guys, and, yeah. we, and we know bits and pieces of their yeah. lives and some of the facts and some of the theology. That's right. But then try, to try to communicate that in just in a, a podcast um, via a podcast is, is sometimes it is hard a little bit do. more difficult yeah. because we want to give you something that's helpful which means we need to trim the fat we need to kind of systematize our thoughts a bit um, but today we're talking about um, in some ways the guy of the Reformation um, there are many 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 key players in the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. But when you talk about the Protestant Reformation, you have to talk about John Calvin. Um, of course, we can't leave off Martin Luther, who kind of predated Calvin in a way, but these two are key players. But today we want to talk about John Calvin. And uh, we were just discussing before we started recording, there's just so much that we are barely going to scratch the surface here. Right. This, this is not comprehensive no. nor exhaustive, no. but... We're just trying to introduce him. Yep. Um, and in fact, one of the things that we could say at the beginning of this time, um, but Duffy, is that um, Calvin gets a lot of the bad press of the, all the reformers. Luther gets some because of his personality. He was he was a little bit gruff and, and at times could be mean He was a bit of a bulldog. He really yeah. was. But you know what? The Lord used him in that bulldog spirit of his to kind of kickstart something, oh, right? We, we all have our flaws and, <laughs> and failings, and God uses us yes, anyway. amen. Thank right, you, right. Lord. Thank yes. you, Lord. But with John Calvin, he was a he was more of a gentle spirit. Yeah. And, and humility yep. uh, was one of the trademarks. But these kinds of things don't get said a lot about John Calvin unless you, one, one who has read and looked at his life and put some time into studying the yep. man. Because when you just... Google it, you know, and Google knows everything, right? Yep. Uh, That's what you do to start research, right? right, Everybody knows that. Right. Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, And some of that information, you're you're going to get a lot of uh, pushback against John Calvin. Yeah. And I I do want to say, you know, if you're completely new to this, uh, to to John Calvin and Reformation theology, um, what you'll, you'll, you'll recognize that there's a similarity in his name and a, a type of soteriology or doctrine of salvation that you might be familiar with, Calvinism. Yes. And today, we're not going to really talk about Calvinism right? Uh, and what that means today. We're going to talk about the man, John Calvin, a bit. Um, and so he lived, we'll, we'll talk about this, but he lived 
uh, complete, his whole life was in the 1500s. He really didn't live to be that old. Um, I believe he died in his 50s or something like that. Um, so he w- did not have a super long life, but boy, was it a... Uh, one, one author, one of his bio- biographers said that he lived majority of his life as a man on the run. He was constantly being um, chided and exiled. He went from one city to another. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, what a... Uh, what an interesting life, and in some ways kind of sad, um, I think, even reading through his um, biography and thinking about the stuff that he went through, all to really, at the base level, he wanted to bring the Bible back to the people and had a strong emphasis on the preaching of the Word in the life of the church. Right, and his uh, legacy is certainly theological. Oh, we'll, absolutely. We'll talk about that, but yes. his legacy can also... Um, be seen in education, yes. government, yes. politics. Yes, there was there was many ways in which he influenced massive uh, influence the the church, um, how we uh, do church, um, even uh, deacon ministry yes. and his uh, work with the poor. All of these things were influenced by. The man, John Calvin. Now, let's go back just for a moment, because the two previous dead guys, old dead guys. Oh, yeah. Let's go back and summarize a little bit. Yeah. Right. Those two men are Baptists that we've talked about, Adoniram Judson and then also John Bunyan. And John Bunyan came out in January, and Adoniram Judson was February. Yep. But those men were influenced by Calvin. Yeah, these guys were direct descendants, theologically and spiritually, from John Calvin and, and all of the work that he did from this, uh, the kickstarting of the Reformation in the 1500s. So um, Bunyan was in the mid-1600s. So Bunyan lived about 100 years, right, almost 100 years exactly after, uh, one century later than Calvin. And then Judson was in the late 1700s into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of see this trail of Reformation theology, even in this little three-month period that we've done with these old dead guys. That's right. And in fact, in, if you want to go a step further down through the generations, yes, we see that you and I are sitting at this table exactly. as, as a result of the influence of Calvin. We are spiritual great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren right. of Calvin's thought, right. really pu- pulling away from the Roman Catholic Church. And let, let's go ahead and lay this on the table. Um, Calvin uh, uh, was a Protestant, okay, in a general sense, and uh, following on the heels of Luther and many other of the Reformers, they were saying the Catholic Church has erred greatly, lots of error in the Catholic Church, and we need, the Church needs to be Reformed. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the play on words, the Reformation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Reformation implies something that's not good, needs to be reformed. So it wasn't starting something from scratch, necessarily. Um, and we're not going to go into all of the detail there, but uh, essentially, Calvin and all of these other reformers uh, in the 1500s and subsequently saw grave error and danger in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the Roman Catholic Church had become just honestly a mess, at that point. And so, uh, all that to say, welcome to the episode about John Calvin. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I've got here, uh, let me just begin with a couple of things, and then we can kind of go into depth a little bit more. Uh, Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield, um, American theologian, as well as one of his contemporaries, Gerhardus Voss, they write these things about 
Calvin. Warfield said that Calvin was the preeminent exegete of the Reformation. Um, the, the sermon output and the commentaries that Calvin wrote, Warfield says that they are timeless. He was the exegete. He, he handled scripture the very best. And what Calvin did is, and this kind of marks him off, is Calvin went back to the text of scripture and brought his people to the words in the text of scripture. And that was the, the, that was the launching point for the ministry. It wasn't tradition of the church. It wasn't um, anything else, but it was the text of scripture. And so Voss as well says that because Reformed theology took hold of the scriptures, uh, alluding to back to, to Calvin's commitment to the scriptures in their deepest root, this root idea which served as the key to unlock the rich treasures of the scriptures was the preeminence of God's glory in the consideration of all that he has created. And that right there, um, according to one biographer, Sinclair Ferguson, said that that was the driving force behind all of Calvin's ministry was the glory of God in Christ. And that's what he wanted to present to uh, the world. He wanted to revive the glory of God in Christ. And that's what marked his ministry, his preaching, and all of that. You want to jump in? Well, I was just going to follow up with your quote and mention that through the centuries, Baptists like Spurgeon and um, others that have been influential in the Baptist life, um, B.H. Carroll, um, some of those those guys like John Boyce, uh, um, W.T. Connor, these have been influenced by Calvin in his writings and his theology. Uh, John Piper is a modern-day name that people would know. John MacArthur is another one. Um, we think about J.I. Packer and uh, J.C. Ryle. I mean, all of these men that we read today and that we yes. uh, count as um, great theologians, pastors, writers, um, these men were all influenced by Calvin. Was Calvin. the spark there that that fueled the next three centuries that we're living in now? Right, four right. centuries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so let's let's quickly take just kind of a flyover. Uh, we're not going to go deep into his um, into the the dates that are important in his life on this episode. Um, again, this is just a introduction to Calvin. But let me walk through just a couple of points on uh, his life. So he was born in 1509. Um, and uh, not much is known about his early life. Um, you know, we can speculate kind of at uh, what the, the, the culture was like at the time where he was born, and we can maybe guess at some of his home life. But we do know that he was um, extremely sharp intellectually, even from an early age. And that, tra- that carried over into his teenage and early adult years. And if you read any of his writings, the Institutes, he began uh, at age 26, only a couple of years after he was converted. Um, and you can just read through there and see he was brilliant, brilliant, great, great grasp of, of logic and um, just systematizing thoughts and that sort of thing. Right. Um, Let me just throw in a, a couple of things here, Duffy, that might be uh, interesting. First, he, he was from France. He was born in France. He was yes. a French man. A Frenchman. Yeah. And he, um, his father... Because of his intellectual abilities, his father pushed him to law. And um, about the time that, that John Calvin was getting into study and uh, higher education, um, 
the some of the Reformation thought was coming from Germany mm-hmm. into France, mm-hmm. and the King of France was resistant to this and began to uh, actually come against Reformation teaching and men who were um, part of um, the Reformation in France, and and John Calvin had to flee France. Yes. He he left France. Yeah. Yeah, and so this brings us to his conversion in 15, um, I believe I've got the date wrong here, it's 1535, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but That's right. One, one neat, uh, do you want to uh, jump in with, kind of how was Calvin converted? Because he wasn't, he was a Roman Catholic all the way up until his early 20s. Yes, um, he, he practiced Roman Catholicism until he, he started being influenced by Reformation teaching and right. thought. That's right, that's uh, right. He, he was uh, aware of Luther, and right. aware of what Luther was doing in Germany. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he, he describes his conversion as just being sudden, something that, that um, um, it's not flashy, it's not a, it's not a real... Um, dynamic conversion like we see with Martin Luther even when we read about his conversion it, it, it's he just very quietly came to realize this is the truth yeah this is the gospel yeah he was in his studies you know doing his thing in, in college and the Lord converted him you know it wasn't it wasn't a big to do at all so Ferguson uh, Sinclair Ferguson one of his biographers as I've already said, Um, He writes this about his conversion. All we know from Calvin's own hand, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken here, that he wrote this in the uh, introduction to his commentary on the Psalms. That's right. All we know from Calvin's own hand, quoting Ferguson, is that God subdued him to docility by a sudden conversion. He had um, at last grasped what would be a central motif in his developed theology over the years. And this is it. Everything that we need is provided for us in Christ plus nothing. And that would mark all of Calvin's um, literature, his preaching, um, and the Institutes as right. well. When he left France, when he, when he left because of the persecution that was coming against the Reformers, he didn't aspire to fame or fortune. He just wanted to live a quiet academic life. That's exactly right. He actually didn't care to be into debate. He didn't care uh, for confrontation. He's just leave me alone. I don't want to get into all of those fights, you know, (laughs) just leave me to my books essentially. Right. Right. (laughs) But he had a mentor that uh, persuade him quite uh, vehemently uh, yes. Quite forcefully yes. that he must come to Geneva, yes. Switzerland. And this man was William Farrell. Yes. I, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Yes. We'll call it Farrell at, uh, for this episode. Yes. But this man was a fire cracker, I guess, if you could, if you could say something. Yes. Uh, and Calvin actually pushed back quite a bit, did not want to go. Um, but Farrell said, you must be here. We need this. And you're the man uh, for this. Right. <laughs> you're, the right. Ti- you're the man for the time. Right. Right. And he and he showed up um, in um, Geneva, I believe, uh, in July fifteen thirty six. Uh, fifteen thirty six. Fifteen thirty six. Yep. And um, when he arrived there, he became the pastor of one of the churches. I think Martin mm-hmm. Bucer, mm-hmm. if that's the correct 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 I, pronunciation. Well, I think I think actually Bucer was in Strasbourg. 
Oh, that's right. He was We're in Strasbourg. We're not to Strasbourg yet. Yes. We're pre-Strasbourg at this point. That's right. Well, when when Luther, uh, Luther, when Calvin <laughs> showed up at Geneva. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got you. He was pastor of, of one of the churches. Yes, yes. And um, began to have an impact and an influence. But um, there were political forces, again, that came against him. He had to run for his life, ultimately, right. here out of Geneva. Right. Um, it, it got bad, real bad. Um, and you could blame it on Farrell, right? Yes. <laughs> he <laughs> and and I'm Farrell, sure Calvin did as well. <laughs> yeah. He and Farrell uh, were exiled from yes. Geneva. Yes. And that's when they went to Strasbourg. Yes. And then we, then we come to 1538, and he didn't spend a whole lot of time in Strasbourg. And this is Germany, Strasbourg, Germany. Uh, and Martin Bootser became... Uh, for Calvin, a bit of a Paul to a Timothy relationship, Bootser was very highly influential for Calvin in a pastor way. Um, we basically, to my understanding, Calvin the pastor, not Calvin the theologian, but Calvin the pastor, we can trace that right back to Bootser. Pa- uh, Bootser taught him how to pastor people and shepherd people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would come later in his life when uh, Calvin would be back in Geneva and spend over a decade there pastoring one church and so and he arrived in 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 strasburg 1538 as you said he was there 39 40 41 in in 1540 he married yep i'm Adelette. not sure how to yeah i'm not sure how to pronounce her name adelette i think it's adelette yeah. yes yep and um, um and she uh i know from uh from ferguson ferguson accounts that um you know she, she was the best thing that had ever happened to calvin um, Calvin writes, you know, warm and very romantic about her and that um, her death only nine years later just tore him apart. Um, it, was a, it was a tragic time. Uh, he, he, from Calvin's pen, said that she was the, something along the lines of uh, the, the best partner, uh, just high, high regard for Idolette um, from Calvin. Right. Uh, they did have one child together, and um, he died... Early, he was a son who died within two weeks after birth, I believe. Yeah, his name was Jacques. Yes, and uh, but now Adelette had two daughters mm-hmm. from a previous marriage, mm-hmm. and when she died, um, John Calvin was the father to those two daughters. Yes, and yes. Um, when when we think about him being in Strasbourg, he he pastored the Protestant exiles there, exiles yes. from France. He, yes. He, he had a good ministry there. In fact, he, he, did. he felt like it was uh, going well when he was encouraged to come back to Geneva. Yeah. So Calvin loved being in Strasbourg. It was a wonderful time, but there was another call back to Geneva. Right. And Calvin basically said, I'd rather die than go back there. Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. That's a death sentence. Why well, would I go back? Some of the political enemies that had exiled him mm-hmm. um, had died and uh, had been removed from office. So yeah. um, there was this, uh, there was a, again a political push. There, the, the, those of the leadership of the town were the ones that were actually asking him to come back. Yep, yep. <clears throat> and he did spend, uh, the, the largest portion of his ministry was spent in Geneva. Yes. Um, and that's where, you know, he did, he had a lasting legacy in the, even in the, in the politics there. Um, he was instrumental in helping some, some laws be changed. Um, 
I'm, some of the details are slipping my mind at the moment. But again, you know, you, this, all of this information is readily accessible online to anyone who's interested in wanting to read about this or well, to learn about his life specifically. Yes, yes, and, and maybe I could throw this in. Yeah, I mean, sure. he did he did a lot uh, in terms of uh, political what we know in politically what we know in American as. Um, representative government or republicanism mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He, that was part of what john calvin did in geneva yes um he started the academy his influence yes. on education yes it was the forerunner of the public school system where it was two-tiered it was the general populace that would uh, be invited to come and learn hebrew and greek and latin mm. and also um there was a, another tier in which those who were called to vocational ministry. Yes, pastor uh, training. Yes, pastor training. Yeah, um, basically a seminary of sorts. Yes. Uh, he was influential in economics in this way. He um, elevated everyone's vocation to a calling. At that time, it was understood that the, the calling was just, just to the clergy. Mm -hmm. But he elevated everybody's vocation yes. to a calling. So yes. if you were called to be a dairyman or you were called to be a printer. Then or, live that life to the glory of God. That's right. And live that life well and full as a dairyman. Right. Or yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely and, so. And so people begin to take pride in their work and yes. begin to appreciate it. And yes. the economic yes. level increased yes. for the people. Amen. Uh, and all of that had a strong sovereignty of God theological underpinning yes. in this. It wasn't just pragmatic, right. but this was a, we are, we are living in God's world. You've been created and designed for a purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, even in our mundane work, right? Right, right. Um, he did a lot in terms of trying to uh, help the poor. Uh, the deacon ministry of his church and uh, Theodore Beza, Yes. was the other pastor. I think there were two different churches in Geneva, mm -hmm. and Theodore Beza uh, pastored one, if I'm correct. Yeah, I don't know specifically that, but I do know that Beza was a key instrumental component in the uh, academy, um, and he was also a professor in the academy. So I couldn't, I, I'm okay. not sure about him pastoring another church. That's, that may be true. Right. We'll, we'll but, have to double check that. But yeah. the point is that he was there yep. and he was helping with the um, ministry of, of, of the churches, uh, particularly through the, um, the deacon ministry and how the deacons of those uh, churches, particularly the John Calvin's church, were so influential and helpful mm. to the poor of that area mm -hmm. and that community, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. city. Yes. Um, yes. So there, there are different w ways that we could talk about John Calvin and his influence, not just being theological. Absolutely so. And yep. uh, the yep. way that um, he was able to, to make an impact just on culture then, and then the extent of those impacts uh, come all the way down to American uh, politics and economics today, because it came from the reformers to the Puritans, John Calvin being in, uh, influential on the Puritans, the Puritans coming to America, and then the, the American colonists setting up the government and the the, the economy, and then and what we understand. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Amen. 
So you could say that American, the American Puritans and that movement was kind of a, in a in a large simplistic way, a third or fourth generation Calvin, uh, you know, pr- uh, successor yes. in that way from his thought. Yeah. Yes. So I, I want to turn our attention to kind of a uh, something we can put we can something tangible we can grasp our hands around. Um, part of his legacy is uh, his Institutes of the Christian Religion, and uh, that is just a towering work of basically a systematization of the Reformed faith in the 1500s. And it's it stands today. It's used by uh, uh, anyone who's got um, a Reformed bone in them, uh, has this or has read some. I and mean, this is crucial to the Reformed faith, is uh, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I wanted to just uh, whet your appetite. If you've never read from, from the Institutes, I would encourage you to. Um, but this is, the, this is how he begins the Institutes. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. In the first place, no one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God, in whom he lives and moves, quoting Acts 17.28. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This pride is innate in all of us. Unless by clear proofs we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. For because all of us are inclined by nature to hypocrisy, a kind of image, empty image of righteousness in place of righteousness itself abundantly satisfies us. And because nothing appears within or around us that has not been contaminated by great immorality, what is a little less vile then pleases us as a thing most pure, so long as we confine our minds within the limits of human corruption. I mean, that's how the Institutes begin, and then he just gives the systematic treatment of the Christian faith. Um, He was a prolific writer. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, his Institutes are the... the pinnacle, if you will, sort of the most famous of of his writings that, um, as you said... um, those who are reformed, or even those who are not reformed, yep. um, read and yep. from uh, the fifteenth century or the sixteenth century, the institutes stand out as one of the the crowning works. Yes, um, from these guys. Yes, and on my shelf in in my library, I've got I don't know how many volumes it is twenty six or so um, of yep. the um, the commentary. commentaries. Uh, yeah, it's almost complete. It's not quite complete. He didn't have time. Right, right. <laughs> well, listen to this. This is from a book by David Hall. It's called The Legacy of John Calvin. Yes. His Influence on the Modern World, which I commend to you. And he writes in here that Calvin prepared 20 sermons per month, uh, preaching from the New Testament on Sunday mornings, the Old Testament during the week, and the Psalms on Sunday afternoon. He preached, for example, 200 sermons on Deuteronomy, 
159 on Job, 110 on 1 Corinthians, and 43 on Galatians. Um, Each of those would be um, significant and a lot of intellectual output, and and that's not writing. And that's not even his Bible commentaries. That's That's just his published sermons. Yes, yes. Pardon me. His his Bible commentaries um, are still used today. Um, they're a, a gold standard for, for Bible commentaries by one author. Um, you know, a lot of the modern-day commentaries are just comp- compilations of different authors. You know, you'll have a set of commentaries, and they're all, maybe one guy wrote two or three of them. But, like, um, com- he wrote from Genesis all the way up, I think, until First and Second Peter or something like that. Almost the whole Bible, one man, and they're still used today. I think of Matthew Henry's Bible commentary uh, as, as another towering one man volume. <laughs> it's just <laughs> incredible to think about. Uh, and there's just there's so much. Um, well, we're not experts on John Calvin. No. Uh, again, as I said in the beginning, we're just trying to introduce you yeah. to him. And so, some of the things that we would say hopefully will pique some kind of interest yes. to make you want to to read more about him. In fact, uh, can I just recommend a couple of books, Duffy? Please that, do. Please okay. do. I'm going to recommend to you uh, a book by John Piper. It's called The Legacy of Sovereign Joy. It's really the lives of Augustine, Luther, and Calvin, so it has uh, three in one. But it is um, just a brief, good biography of his life that I think you could appreciate. It's a good read. Also, I recommend to you the... Expository Genius of John Calvin. This is a book by Steve Lawson, and uh, it has to do with John Calvin's preaching, which we just referred to from the quote from John Hall's book, which again, I commend to you. But uh, these are three books that would be helpful to know more about John Calvin, his life, and again, try to try to push back against some of the negativity that you might read about um, online and uh, help you to, to get a clear and better understanding of his life. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, at the bottom line, um, if you are listening to this and you are a, a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or anyone who fits under the umbrella of the Protestant faith, you're a child of John Calvin in some way. Yes. You're, you're where you are and you're a member of your church because your church exists because of Calvin. Uh, in in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, in that regard, so he is an important figure for us. Um, and, and I want to to maybe as we wrap this episode up, um, the life emphasis of Calvin. Again, I've already mentioned it, but I want to restate this: that the glory and supremacy of God being made known through the Word of God, being preached and taught, drove Calvin and his ministry. You want a man tethered to the Word of God. Uh, committed to exposition and preaching of the Word of God, this was Calvin. And he uh, spent himself <laughs> for that end. Right, right. Uh, he was a tremendous uh, pastor in that he um, was uh, humble in so many ways. People, again, have the wrong um, understanding, yeah. uh, and it comes from Calvinism that you yeah, mentioned at yeah. the beginning. Hard-nosed, kind of, you know, ready for a fight, you know, right. kind of that sort of a thing. Right. 
But um, here's some thoughts about his humility. This is John Calvin's humility. He acknowledged his admiration for Luther and other reformers rather than to um, view them as rivals and be critical of them. Um, He sought to serve out of the limelight. As we mentioned, he didn't particularly desire to um, be well-known or to have some kind of um, legacy that uh, was popular with culture. Uh, He left um, um, Geneva the first time uh, with, with humility, he didn't fight against it. He didn't try to, um, um, you know, come back and revile them in any way. He he just he didn't have a vengeful spirit. No antagonistic he, spirit. Even though he was treated so badly, um, yeah. Yeah. he he left with humility. There, uh, he gladly served the church that um, he was at in Geneva, and he did not as- aspire to a political power there. He didn't seek to in any way try to uh, get rich, corporate power, any of those uh, worldly motives that we... He just wished people would stop hunting him down. (laughs) That's all he really cared (laughs) about. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He gave away authority to others uh, for the betterment of the city and for the people. Um, He... uh, he was very modest with his own accomplishments, with the writings of yes, the yes. Institute and his preaching. So yeah, in a ch- lot of ways, a man to be emulated by young men who are desiring ministry today. Yes. Um, in a lot of ways, say, look, if you want to be in ministry, if you feel a desire and a call to ministry, um, study Calvin, study his life. Understand that ministry is, you're going to come under attack, but at the same time, you don't need to re- uh, respond with attack. Right. Um, I think Calvin and Spurgeon mm, ought to be read by those who aspire mm, to the hey, we'll office do, of We'll pastor. do Spurgeon on, on another Old yes. Dead Guy series yes, soon. Yes, yes. Absolutely so. Yeah. And I, w- I almost brought this up earlier, um, but Spurgeon has a famous quote that's saying, Calvinism is just a nickname for sound biblical doctrine. Yes. And so Calvin, or Charles Spurgeon was a direct descendant, air quotes there, of Calvin as well, well and Calvin, as a Baptist minister. That's right. And Calvin um, did not create Calvinism no, he didn't. in its, its, no. its soteriology. No. No, 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 it no. comes straight from the Scripture. That's right. That's right. So we don't have to get into all that. No, but but that, there's a teaser for a future episode right. right there. We'll talk about that later on some other time. But man, I hope this episode has been a help to you. That's it. That's all we've got for this one. Um, go read. Go pick up a biography of Calvin. Um, the recommend. Do you recommend this one as a? Uh, this is one that you brought with you into the recording room. Yes, yes. Well, this is a <laughs> uh, about seven hundred pages or six hundred pages. Okay, or so. right. That might be um, too big, but th- it, it has a what, section. Yeah, this is what I picked up uh, a couple of years ago. It's a. Uh, it's really written for pastors. Uh, it it uh, documents the life and the legacy of three men: John Calvin, John Owen and John Murray, okay. three Johns who are instrumental in the Protestant faith uh, over the last 500 years. But Sinclair Ferguson uh, does a mini biography in this book of all three of those men and also talks about all three of their legacies um, and their different strengths. And it's a wonderful book, but I don't know that I would recommend it. Okay, it's I got It's about you. 600, 700 pages or so. Right, uh, right. But yeah, um, there, there's a lot that we could have covered. 
uh, again. But listener, thanks for thanks for listening. That's it for today's episode. Again, thank you for taking your time, uh, a little bit of your time, and listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We sure hope it's been a blessing to you. Don't forget, before you go, like and share the podcast with someone that you know. Um, share it through text message or email or on social media. We'd be happy to uh, for you to pass this along uh, and get others excited about these men that we've been discussing. But until next time, as usual, grace and peace.